I'm weird. You're weird. You're weird. That's so weird. Weird sister. Weird sister. Weird sister. Have you ever walked into a room and seen somebody from a distance and thought, I really want to know who she is? That's how I feel about my friend Stacy Dinnick. She is multi talented, an artist of many different skills and attributes. And she is also the Weird Sister audio producer. She has an excellent background in audio and video production. She's also a writer, a face painter, a glass artist, an awesome friend, and a true Weird Sister. This is Cece Hart, and I want to thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's an honor to be a Weird Sister and to be considered interesting enough for the Weird Sister podcast. I want to say how grateful I am to have your collaboration and support on this project. Um, You were my first friend when we were working on our Masters of Fine Arts in Writing, and I'm so grateful for that. There was something that we had in common that went beyond the superficial interests. Um, And of course, we were both interested in books and we both liked to write, but I knew that there was something special about you. So what I want to ask you is, do you have a recollection from some time, either recent or far away, do you have a recollection of being called weird that really stands out for you? I think I called myself weird more than anybody else did directly to me. When I was, I guess about eight, I judged time by where I lived. And I think I lived in L.A. then. There were these horrible, hideous things called spelling bees that all the other kids loved that I hated because I could not spell. And when I was subjected to that kind of performance anxiety, then I couldn't even spell like the first word that came out that was super humiliating. So eventually I refused to stand up and participate because it was so awful and I knew I would fail and it was always just teasing and it was, then I'd cry, cry baby. It was kind of this like standing up for yourself like I'm going to be weird and different and I'm not playing, but at the same time wishing you could like... Why can't I spell? You know, I have to give the true disclaimer right here. I was the kid who won the spelling bees, but it wasn't so much because I was really into the competition of it. It's because I have synesthesia and I see all of my numbers and letters and color. That was rather easy for me. But there were other things that I did not like to do that were um, very much about social interaction with people whom I'd never met. And um, I know that I had trouble um, following directions when I couldn't understand what somebody was saying to me. And that could be my own teacher or a parent. I had a real reticence about asking questions. I think school is really hard for all neurodiverse people, people of neurodiversity, But I do substitute teaching now, and it's very heartening to see how much more is understood and how many coping and learning strategies are in use now for all types of learners. Too bad we didn't get that. Kind of stinks. Mm -hmm. But we made it, so we're good. 
That's great. Are there some aspects of your neurodiversity that you're willing to talk about? I'm specifically uh, thinking about the dyspraxia that you and I talked about recently. And I think there might be, um, you know, for the help of our listeners on the Weird Sister podcast, it'd be great if you could explain what dyspraxia is and when you first realized that you had dyspraxia. Yes, I was looking up dyslexia because I'd suspected that I'd had that because I transposed letters, but I had never been diagnosed and I didn't have trouble reading, so it didn't seem like a big deal. And I was looking that up and I found that this graphic where under the umbrella of, I guess, neurodiversity, they have ADD, ADHD, dyspraxia, dysgraphia, and dyscalcula. And I was like, what the heck are those? So I looked up dyspraxia, and it has to do with many parts, but part of it is uh, trouble with spatial relationships, hence not liking sports. And I thought, hey, that might be why every time I try to play a game with a ball, I always get hit with it, because I'm looking. Next thing I know, it's hitting me in the face. It's something interesting about neurodivergence is that it's really quite broad that neurodivergent individuals might have trouble with proprioception. They might have trouble with sensation. They might have trouble with um, exteroception or interoception, different aspects of the way that the body organizes itself in relationship to the brain. And so when you and I were talking about dyspraxia, you were telling me that some of the ways in which you felt um, particularly uncomfortable in your very, very tall, you know, Stacy, you're six feet tall. Do you feel that learning that term has helped you make sense out of other aspects of your life? Yeah, I think it has. And also the dyslexia. I didn't realize that things like not being able to sound out words was a symptom of dyslexia. I thought it was just transposing things. And also attention, not, not, and, um, you know, a lot of the characteristics overlap in the different diagnoses. So um, aspects of dyspraxia include physical stamina, so that was interesting, coordination, speech and language, which can be muddling up words, which I definitely do sometimes, social stuff, which I definitely have where I thought maybe I have autism spectrum, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't really matter what label you put on yourself, but it's just nice to know that it's not some lack of willpower or something. It's just the way your brain's made, and it's not all bad. That's a really important point that you just brought up, that it isn't about a lack of willpower. I think one of the ways that neurodivergent women have felt left out or shunned or less than is there's this sense that we can all just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, which of course we all know is a bit of a um, it, it, impossible task, but that if we just paid more attention or if we just focused a little harder or a little longer, or if we would just stop that, you know, that behavior, what have you, whether it's a stimming behavior or a tendency to tune out, that everything would be okay. And it sounds like that's familiar to you, the idea that, that you're the problem, not the way that our society is constructed around neurotypical processing styles. Right. 
when I first started really researching the neurodiverse aspects and realized a lot of them fit me, it was kind of liberating and upsetting all at the same time in equal amounts because of, of that stigma. I'm curious to know if there are ways that technology has helped you with your processing. What saved me was word processing. I was always restricted from writing by my bad spelling. Oh, interesting. You hear people say, oh, I always wanted to be a writer. When I was 12, I wrote a novel. I was like, I can't express myself. I don't know how to say that, spell that word. I'll use some other word. Oh, too hard. Right? It was just so frustrating. And that was all made worse by travel and having to go to school in French. And it was just a clusterfunk. When I finally got a personal computer, then I was able to start writing some papers. The word processor with the spell check actually helped my spelling a lot. Because after you spell weird, you know, 100,000 times, I-E, instead of E-I, eventually you go, oh, I think it's the other way around. Or I just keep making the same mistake, but I can fix it. That's a great example. I'm so glad you used the word weird as a way of describing your trajectory as someone who's learned to be a better speller. I also wanted to take a moment and ask you, since you are the audio producer for the Weird Sister podcast, I think many of our listeners would like to know more about how you came into the field of audio production and maybe a little bit about your background doing a video and audio. I guess about the 80s. I was thinking, what kind of job can I do that's creative but pays? Oh, I had studied stained glass and I made some windows, but I didn't think I'll ever, I thought, I'll never make money doing this. I have to have something else. So I um, actually met some people at a party that all worked for Lucasfilm, and they told me, oh, video's up and coming now, especially for women. I don't know where they got that, but I thought, okay. So I ended up taking a... ROP class at Redwood High School in Marin, Regional Occupations Program. So they taught us to edit. We had control track editing, very linear, but it was taught me the principles and the price was right, which was free. And then after that, I interned. That wasn't unusual for people to be barely paid interns, but usually it didn't last that long. So most people would only put up with it for six months and then they'd have some chops and go somewhere else and get paid a, a real rate. So after that, when I was freelancing, I learned, I worked for many different companies and then I got offered a job. So then that was a, a great place for me that, where I was there for 15 years and got to learn on their equipment, you know, and have some voice about what equipment to get and... Super great boss, very fair. First, we did mostly high-tech stuff. We did, we did a million videos for Apple. The joke was in the San Francisco Bay Area that Apple would have a T-shirt printed and make a video and then make a product. They were making that many videos. I love it. We did work for Microsoft, and then we got this awesome... It was kind of the peak of that job for me, doing videos for the San Francisco Ballet because it was actually inherently aesthetically beautiful as opposed to a computer screen and a mouse click. Not that action-packed. It sounds wonderful. I remember going to the ballet with you several times. It was really a treat for us to be able to get away and have a nice lunch together and go see the ballet. 
as a person with mirror touch synesthesia, I've always been very fond of ballet because when I see other people's bodies move, I feel that in my own body. You don't get a pain from watching their feet in those painful shoes? That's a really good question. I actually have some proprioceptive issues that are related to my neurodiversity, and I like to wear very tight shoes. I actually like the sensation of point shoes. You know, many people with autism have sensory stims that border on painful or are even a little bit painful. And I, uh, yeah, I have to say it, true confession. Here you're getting it. You're getting it here for the first time. I like the feeling of point shoes. So you like cruel shoes. Now we know you are weird. (laughs) You asked about what it's like to realize you're neurodivergent later. And it's it's kind of sad to realize that self-acceptance could have happened a long time ago with more information. I can honor that. I believe I speak for many weird sisters when I say that we are extremely grateful you're doing this podcast so we can learn more about our differences, samenesses, and strengths. Thanks, Cece. Aww. I'm just really glad you're weird. This is Cece Hart, and I want to thank you for joining me today. Let's connect in episode five of the Weird Sister podcast, where we'll talk about one of my favorite strange ladies, the 12th century polymath Hildegard of Bingen. You can always find me via my neurodiversity blog at cchart.me. That's C-C-H-A-R-T dot M-E. And please connect with me on Twitter and Instagram. You can find links to my social media on my blog. Big thanks to my audio producer, Stacey Denick, who is the bestest of the weird sisters. May the weird be with you. (laughs) 